It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Wednesday, November 3rd, 2021. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show. I'm your host, Guy Benson, political editor at townhall.com, Fox News contributor, and host of this program every weekday, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. The podcast is free every single day. Should you miss any of the show as it airs, our website is guybensonshow.com. I will be on with Kennedy tonight, Fox Business Network, in studio here in New York in the 7 p.m. hour. I will be on the panel with Gutfeld, 11 p.m., that whole hour, on Fox News Channel tonight. Here with you for the next three hours on the radio, and this is the lineup that we've got. Governor Chris Christie will be here this hour. Have you heard about what's happening in New Jersey? I know we've been Virginia, 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 my adoptive home state. What about my original home state, New Jersey? Whoa. We will get Governor Christie to weigh in because he knows what he's talking about. He knows of what he speaks on the Garden State. Chris Christie here this hour. Next hour, Speaker Newt Gingrich. What just happened last night? What are the implications? What happens moving forward? Newt Gingrich will be here. Josh Krasauer will join us again. He was here on Monday. I think he deserves a bit of a victory lap, not because of his preferred outcomes, but because of his excellent analysis and predictions. We will have him breaking down the results, a little postmortem, Virginia in particular. And we will also be joined in our final hour by our colleague Martha McCallum. We had Brett Bayer on yesterday. He was half of the special election coverage last night. The other half, Martha McCallum, will be here this evening. I am so ready for this show. Let's start, as we always do, with a Fox News alert. Cases, 46.1 million combined COVID in the United States. The real number, much higher than that. That's a huge undercount. The death toll of or with COVID in the United States, Americans, 748,197. The Dow is up 62 points right now. Trading at 36,118. And with that, another Fox News alert. We're going to embrace our parents, not ignore them. We're going to press forward with a curriculum that includes listening to parents' input, a curriculum that allows our children to run as fast as they can, teaching them how to think, enabling their dreams to soar. Friends, we are going to reestablish excellence in our schools. And that is Governor-elect. Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. How does that sound? Governor-elect Youngkin. 
We have covered this race a lot. We have had Glenn Youngkin on this show a lot. As I mentioned, I live in Virginia. I voted in Virginia. It's been a while since I really felt invested in a political race, really invested. This was one of them. And I was ready to be ecstatic if he won and honestly gutted if he lost for all sorts of reasons. And I can get into some of those reasons here. And he won. I will remind you, one year ago, Joe Biden carried Virginia by 10 points, a double-digit blue state. And then last night, Glenn Youngkin won by two to three points. We don't have the exact final number yet. That is a major double-digit swing in the other direction. And there are some exciting sort of underlying factors to that swing that we're going to highlight a little bit here. There's another double-digit swing in New Jersey. Regardless of how that race turns out, I think it's likely that Governor Murphy, the Democrat, hangs on by his fingernails. But the fact that that is even in doubt or in question at 3 p.m. the next day is not something that anyone saw coming. And the carnage for the Democrats down ballot is real. And it is painful for them. Some of them might learn a lesson. A lot of them seem not to be learning the lesson. Terry McAuliffe has conceded something he doesn't like to do, sometimes refuses to do. He's conceded the race in Virginia. His ballroom cleared out early last night. They were up late in Chantilly waiting for the new governor. And he came out and you could hear the crowd. He ran a fantastic race, Glenn Youngkin. You have to in a state like that that has gone so blue. It's gone so blue that Republicans have not won a single statewide race since 2009, 12 years. They have lost all three statewide state-level offices in 2013 and 2017. They've lost every U.S. Senate election in those intervening years. And now in one fell swoop, the Republicans swept governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general last night. The House of Delegates appears to have flipped. That is coattails. That is a wave. Again, in a blue state, a Biden plus 10 state. People on the left are really struggling, some of them, talking about white supremacy and racism and dog whistles and all this stuff. In fact, some of the failed stuff that didn't work for Terry McAuliffe, right? Terry McAuliffe spent the end of that campaign running around, sticking his finger in the eye of parents, saying, we know better. He's campaigning with Randy Weingarten, of all people, Kamala Harris and the rest of them. He's shouting about abortion as loud as he can. He says Donald Trump so much, it's like he has a tick, right? It's like he's got Trump Tourette's. That's what it felt like with Terry McAuliffe. And it fell flat on its face. The people of Virginia said absolutely not. And they said yes to Glenn Youngkin. And they tried to turn Youngkin into Trump. And when the actual voting happened, Youngkin had a favorability rating uh, rating over 50 And McAuliffe was underwater with a majority with an unfavorable rating. 
just an absolute failure of a campaign. It's still two or three points, right? This is still a blue state. Actually reminds me of a 2014 Senate race. Cory Gardner out in Colorado, a bluing state, Colorado, a very strong Republican environment, 2014, a one-note, hapless opponent. It was Mark Udall against Cory Gardner, and Cory ran basically a flawless campaign, which is close to what Glenn Youngkin just did, and it was a two- or three-point victory. Under the best of circumstances. So that is, you know, just, you know, hold your horses here. It's not like Virginia or New Jersey are all of a sudden going to become just, you know, red states moving forward. It's going to take a lot of hard work and some breaks to go a certain way. But even if the breaks start falling your way, you still have to earn it. That's exactly what Yunkin did. Now, I don't want to toot my own horn too much here. However, I made my own prediction yesterday on the show. I wrote it down also at townhall.com, so it's on the record. So what I wrote and what I said yesterday, quote, nearly everything I've seen, heard, and read leads me to conclude that the moment is ripe for a Yunkin victory. I said the most likely outcome in my book was, quote, that Yunkin wins by one to three points. And, well, you look at that. It's exactly what he did. The polls were actually right this time. The Yunkin campaign was right. I mentioned at that Loudon rally, I went there just to really see it for myself and feel that intensity and the energy. And there were people poo-pooing, oh, the crowd stuff, it doesn't matter. They went through this in 2012. They went with this with Trump. It's not about crowd sizes. And I said, it's not always about crowd sizes. It's not the only factor, but it was one of the factors that informed my analysis. Intensity was a real thing. And the Yunkin people, the high-level campaign folks that I spoke to, they said, we are tracking at plus three, and they were almost exactly spot on. New York Times has this fantastic graphic. They always do this in recent years where they've got a map, in this case of just Virginia. They have all the counties. They've got little arrows, red ones that point to the right and blue ones that point to the left, and it shows the shift over a previous election. Has the margin gotten more Republican and more Democratic. And if you look, and I posted this at townhall.com, if you look at the graphic at the New York Times today in Virginia, every single arrow in every single county is red and pointing to the right. There was not even one county that bucked the trend and went more Democratic. The southwest rural conservative parts of the state showed up big time for Glenn Youngkin. I mean, shocking margins, bigger margins than Trump in those places. These are Trumpy MAGA areas, areas. Then you had some crucial bellwethers where Youngkin was going to try to flip things. Virginia Beach flipped. Chesterfield flipped. Chesapeake flipped. Yunkin had to do better. Again, he didn't have to do a little bit better. He had to do a lot better. Joe Biden won by 10. Ralph Northam won by eight and a half. He had to do a lot better, and he did. In Loudoun County, home of so much of that school controversy in Virginia, Joe Biden carried that county by 25 points. Glenn Yunkin shaved 15 points off of that margin. In the suburbs of Richmond, boom, He did what he had to do. He hit his marks everywhere. It wasn't a blowout, 
part of the reason that it wasn't a blowout, and this is such an important thing that I really want to highlight. It wasn't a blowout because Democrats did not stay at home. This is really important, right? Part of my roadmap for a Yunkin win was very strong Republican support. He got that. Independence breaking for him heavily. He got that. He won by nine or 10 points among independents. Late breakers going for him. That appears to have happened, making inroads in Northern Virginia among parents, making some inroads in communities of color. The Fox News analysis suggests that Yunkin may have won Hispanics outright. But I also said they're going to have to hope for a dispirited Democratic base to stay home. That did not happen. Democrats showed up. They shattered turnout records in Virginia for a governor's election. Like, what was it? 3.2, 3.3 million people showed up in a governor election off year. I mean, completely blowing out 2017's number. When you had so many people in Virginia fired up to repudiate Donald Trump, right? Virginia was super blue and they were mad about Trump. And boy, did they show it with a big Democratic victory in 2017. You had the Democratic base as excited to deal a blow to Trump as possible in that race. And they did. The turnout last night absolutely blew that number out of the water. By hundreds of thousands, it wasn't even close. It was a record-shattering turnout for a Demo- for a governor's race in Virginia. And I know what is often the case, sort of the conventional wisdom, Democrats say it and they believe it. I think a lot of Republicans have come to believe it, but hear me on this. They say, when the people vote, when the turnout is high, Democrats win. Well, guess what? The people voted. Turnout was high, and the Republican ticket swept into power, bringing coattails and the state legislative lower chamber with them in this high turnout election. Dave Wasserman, who's one of the top political gurus, when he calls a race, it's basically over. He called this for Yunkin in the 8 p.m. hour last night. Took all the networks much, much longer. Wasserman with his famous tweet, I've seen enough. Glenn Yunkin's won it. That was before 9 p.m. And he tweeted this, the theory that high turnout will save McAuliffe because Virginia is a blue state was never much more than wish casting on Twitter. There was record shattering turnout today and Yunkin won. Yunkin was able to appeal to the Trump base effectively. He was able to appeal to disaffected center-right non-Trump Republicans and bring them back into the fold. He was also able to appeal to suburbanites, suburban women, mothers, parents, independents, moderates, and bring a lot of them back into the same fold under the same tent. At the rally in Loudoun County, I saw pickup trucks with Trump stickers. I said this on Fox News last night with Brett and Martha. And I saw Volvos with middle school honor roll stickers. That coalition, if the Republicans can marshal that coalition and summon that coalition moving forward, and it's easier said than done, obviously, that is a potent political force. And that is how you got a D plus 10, a Biden plus 10 state to elect Glenn Youngkin and Winsome Sears and the entire Republican ticket with down ballot destruction for Democrats as well. That's what happened 
in the Commonwealth of Virginia last night. With high turnout, not low turnout. I have so much more to say about all of this, plus Chris Christie on New Jersey. That's all coming up. We're just getting started on The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson, back on The Guy Benson Show. That is the theme song. The Glenn Youngkin campaign, that's what he would run out to off of the bus that everyone signed. And I shouldn't just call him Glenn Youngkin, I should call him Governor-Elect Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. And McCullough tried to nationalize the race, as I mentioned. Tried to scare Democrats into hating Glenn Youngkin and, oh, he's exactly like Donald Trump, and just people didn't believe it. Youngkin, savvy, smart, Clever didn't take the bait. He focused on state issues. And yes, when the left was waging some culture wars, especially on schools, he didn't run away from them. He strategically picked his spots and leaned into them. And he fought them on the schools. And he beat them on the schools. Education, their home cooking. And they cannot stand that that happened. They are mad about it, which is why all the racism stuff is rearing its head again. Oh, racist, racist, racist. I'm sorry. Republicans picked up two majority-minority seats in Virginia last night. Washington Post was quoting a Latina mother, a black father, talking about schools, talking about parental involvement, and saying they couldn't vote for McCall if they wanted to vote for Youngkin because of his values. Are they part of this giant white supremacy cabal? It's ridiculous. It's insulting. I hope they keep going with it because it's failing. By the way, it's not just Virginia or New Jersey. In Texas, a House seat was flipped. Biden plus 14. A Hispanic Republican won it by two points in a district that is 74% Hispanic. School board races, many of them flocking in the Republican direction. White Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Roe. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. <laughs> His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Wipeouts in Pennsylvania, wipeouts in suburban New York. It was a reckoning last night across the country. And the midterms are dead ahead. Chris Christie next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
Back on the Guy Benson Show. I see on Fox News Channel, Martha McCallum has Winsome Sears, the lieutenant governor-elect in Virginia, first woman of color elected statewide in Virginia, a Republican, I will add. Looking forward to watching that interview later. I'm also looking forward to this. Moments ago, we spoke with the former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie. He knows what's up in his state. What a stunning turn of events. Let's listen to that conversation. With us now is Chris Christie, the 55th governor of the state of New Jersey. And boy, is New Jersey interesting. Today and late into last night, we were texting back and forth, Governor. We chatted a few times. As of today, earlier this afternoon, the lead was seesawing back and forth between Governor Murphy, the heavily favored incumbent Democrat, and Jack Cittarelli, who we've had on this show a few times, the Republican challenger who was given zero shot really by anyone, pollsters, all the experts. And at the moment, Murphy appears to be ahead. It looks like the math probably favors him slightly here with some of the outstanding ballots that will still be counted. But my goodness, one of your big takeaways when we spoke at like two o'clock in the morning last night, how wrong the polls got it in New Jersey. Oh, awfully wrong. And, you know, the Mammoth poll in particular and Patrick Murray, who, quite frankly, is nothing more than a Democratic hack operative disguising himself as a professor at Monmouth University and a pollster, had this race at 11 points. 11 well, I mean, he was only off by 11 points, in fairness. Right. I mean, to be fair, um, you know, look, the, the, in our state, these liberal universities who run these polls, Monmouth, Rutgers, um, they, what they do is they use it as a tool to make these races look like they're not competitive. And it depresses the candidate on the Republican side's ability to raise money. Um, and it's it's an outrage. It Although, really is. Here, let me just ask you this. Do you think in this environment it may have actually helped Jack Cittarelli? Because I was having flashbacks to 2009 when in Virginia, Bob McDonald won in a walkover, right? It wasn't even close. That race did not have a lot of drama. That was Virginia pushing back against Barack Obama. All the attention was on you in New Jersey and John Corzine and that dogfight that you ended up winning by a hair. Of course, you blew it out a few years later in your reelect in 2013. But so much of the magnifying glass, the spotlight was on your race that year. That is what happened this cycle in Virginia with no one paying attention to New Jersey. Did that allow maybe Jack Cittarelli to sneak up on people because the pollsters can do whatever they want? Ultimately, Voters were fired up. Voters were clearly dissatisfied and angry. And the National Democrats and the Murphy campaign seemed like they were caught napping. Maybe they bought their own spin. No, look, I think I think what happened was Phil Murphy was running for president. I mean, there's no other explanation, Guy, for him to have Bernie Sanders into New Jersey in a general election two days before the general. That's not to persuade undecided in New Jersey Um, that if. If Bernie Sanders persuades you, you were voting for Phil Murphy a long time ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I don't think that's what happened. I think it was the arrogance of Phil Murphy, the arrogance of his belief that he could run for president, um, and his ignoring of New Jersey and giving New Jersey any vision for the future that, you know, undecided, uh, you know, undeclared voters just said, no, we're not going to have this. I think also there's no question that Joe Biden's, uh, you know, failures as president had a positive impact for Jack as well. And when you compare 09 and 21, Guy, remember this. On election day in 09, Barack Obama's approval rating in New Jersey was plus 21. 
the approval rating for Joe Biden on election day yesterday was in New Jersey was minus six. Yeah. And so you should have been able to people should have been able to see this coming. Well, and Biden won the state by 16 points. Right. It was a 16 point swing to the Republican. It looks like it's not quite going to work out for Chitterelli, although it's right, you know, neck and neck still. We're still pending quite a few votes and not a huge number, but a significant number. The experts say those will break for Murphy and he'll win reelection. Do you happen to remember Back to 2009, when it might have been relevant, what the law is on a recount in New Jersey. What would you counsel Chitterelli to do here? How close would it need to be for perhaps litigation or a challenge to be appropriate? Look, I think what you're going to see is that it, it, is, it is a tough haul now for Jack because many of the votes that are still out um, are votes that come from predominantly Democratic areas. But there are also vote-by-mail votes that have not been counted in Monmouth County, which Jack won 62% of the vote in. And so we have to see what those numbers are. I've been in touch with him both last night and today. They have legal teams fanning out to every county to make sure that all the votes are being counted, and then they can make an evaluation on recount. Um, I think anything less than 1%, um, there are no automatic recount provisions in New Jersey, but anything less than 1%, I think is something that Jack would have to ask for a recount on. I want to ask about down ballot a little bit in New Jersey, because, again, another race that got a lot of attention last night. It appears that he has stabilized and taken the lead again. Again, it's been in flux, a lot of these races. But the Senate leader for the Democrats, Senate President Steve Sweeney, who's an institution in the state, you, of course, know him, dealt with him a lot. He was on the ropes for a long time. It appeared that he was losing It now looks like he's back ahead by a nose. But Governor Christie, his opponent, apparently is a truck driver with no campaign website. He has a Facebook page, and his disclosure forms report $153 in campaign spending. That guy has come extremely close within a hair of toppling Steve Sweeney. What the hell is going on down ballot in New Jersey? Well, what happened, especially in the southern part of the state, is a complete rejection of the liberal policies of Phil Murphy and Joe Biden. You know, uh, Guy, South Jersey um, is is a pretty right-of-center area, even with the Democrats. Steve Sweeney has typically been considered a right-of-center Democrat. Yep. And, but what happened, Steve Sweeney's district covers uh, has parts of three counties, Gloucester County, Salem County, and Cumberland County. Jack Chitterelli won Gloucester by 10. He won Cumberland 2-1. to one, And he won Salem 2-1. to one. And so when you have a running against that kind of defeat of Phil Murphy right above you in the ticket, even somebody like Steve Sweeney is going to have problems. And I can tell you this. <laughs> the people who are looking at this in the state believe that Steve Sweeney will ultimately lose this race. And I can tell you, his opponent, I've never met him, nor has anybody from the Chitterelli <laughs> campaign. I mean, it, I'm laughing only because sometimes when crazy things happen in politics, they go full crazy. The guy doesn't have a campaign website. He spent less than $200, not 200000 $200. Meanwhile, there have been, last I checked, and again, all of this is subject to change, but last I checked, Eight Republican flips in the assembly. It looks like there's been ground gained in the state Senate as well. What would that mean 
for if Murphy wins, if Murphy hangs on and wins, what does that mean for his governance moving forward with Republicans newly empowered, not running the show, but a much more significant check in the legislature? Well, look, I think that they're going to wind up probably losing three seats in the Senate, which will bring it down to 22 to 18. And like you said, I think they lose eight seats in the Assembly, which brings it down to 44 to 36. So that means that the, the, the Democrats will only have a two-seat margin in the Senate and a four-seat margin in the Assembly. And what that will mean, most particularly, because remember, New Jersey still needs to redraw its legislative districts. And we have the entire legislature back up for election in two years. Everybody. So Phil Murphy's crazy liberal policies, after the way they got rejected by the voters yesterday, they are. I don't think there's going to be Democrats in the legislature who want to hear from him about any of his crazy Bernie Sanders type ideas. Do you think I that think there are some Democratic congressmen, members of Congress at the federal level in New Jersey and also Virginia, for that matter, who look at what happened last night and are sweating bullets today? Absolutely. Let me name them for you, please. Uh, Tom Malinowski, who's got a challenge from the son of former Governor Tom Kane, yep. Tom Kane Jr., uh, Mikey Sherrill, who is my congressperson in Morris County, where Morris County went overwhelmingly Republican last night. Um, and and Andy Kim, you watch Jack Chitterelli won. Andy, majority of Andy Kim's district is, well, all of it is Ocean and Burlington. Jack Chitterelli won Burlington by 10 points last night. He won, he got 68% of the vote in Ocean. If you're Andy Kim, you got to be wondering about whether to take a short-term lease in Washington. <laughs> what about, uh, what is it, Gottmeyer up, up in my old district where I used to live? I know Bergen ultimately went Murphy's way, it looks like, but not by a lot. Then you got, if I'm not mistaken, Sussex is in that district still. Is there any chance for that seat to be in play? Oh, look, um, it, it is It is absolutely um, still in play. And, 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 and I think that it's less so because of Bergen County ultimately having gone for Murphy. But remember, he also has a substantial part of Sussex County in his district, right. which last night gave Jack Chitterelli um, over 67 percent of the vote. Last question here about New Jersey. A lot of folks are focusing on the tax issue. Understandably, my parents finally had enough and left the state. That is bread and butter Republican attack fodder in New Jersey. That clearly played a big role. The national environment clearly played a big role. Some of these underlying concerns about schools and education, that's a real issue. I wonder, is a sleeper issue, and it shouldn't be one, but a sleeper issue at the national level, just a lot of people being sick and tired of the Democratic Party effectively holding themselves out proudly, indignantly, as the party of mandates and restrictions on COVID, with a lot of people, I think, just absolutely tired of it. And Murphy's done this. He's telegraphed more is coming. I think Terry McAuliffe was telegraphing. That's what he would have done if he had won in Virginia. I think that that might be like a low key under the radar issue to a certain extent, which is hard to imagine given the last year and a half that we've all lived through. But I think maybe it wasn't picked up as much in the polls or the national punditry. But I think that there is a sense of not just fatigue, but people have had enough. Guy, there's no question that in New Jersey, I can tell you, I can't speak to Virginia, but as to New Jersey, it combines with Phil Murphy's liberal policies to make them feel like government is in every part of their lives telling them what to do. And so it creates an atmosphere in the state where most people 
will say that, you know, we want to be careful about COVID, but they're tired of people telling them that their child has to wear a mask at school. They're tired of, you know, my wife and I, both fully vaccinated, were walking down the street the other day here in New Jersey, in Morristown, and we had a guy who had a mask on angrily point at us and point to his mask and wag his finger at us because we were walking down the street. Yeah, that's just neurotic. Right. And you also have natural immunity because you had a, a tough battle with COVID yourself. That's just that's crazy. But that's also the attitude that a lot of the Democratic Party officialdom has embraced, even though it doesn't reflect the science. And I think there's plenty of people who will privately grouse and gripe about it, but then vote. And they voted last night in large numbers in a number of these different places, New Jersey, Virginia, elsewhere. Last question, nationally, Governor Christie, does President Biden pivot at this point? Because whatever they're doing obviously is not resonating well with the American people. Look, that would be the logical thing to do. But given what I've heard so far today, I don't think so. You know, in Virginia last night, 52 percent of the people who voted said they considered the Democratic Party too liberal. Yet what we heard today from Dick Durbin and uh, Richard Blumenthal and Tim Kaine, they said, oh, no, no, we this is they're upset because we didn't pass the Build Back Better bill. This makes it even more imperative that we pass it right away. Uh And Nancy Pelosi has said she's putting um, fully paid daycare back in the bill. They are responding, Guy, in a way that is bad for the country, but that Republicans can only dream of. They're doubling down on the policy that failed them last night in two very blue East Coast states. And if they do that, if Joe Manchin can't hold the line on some of that stuff and some of the you know more moderate members of the House Democratic caucus can't, they're going to be handing us a bad thing for the country, but an enormous gift politically because the public very clearly in my mind in New Jersey and Virginia, not in Nebraska and Alabama. Right. In New Jersey and Virginia rejected that last night very clearly. Governor Chris Christie, former governor in New Jersey, a Republican, a friend of the show. Thanks for making some time for us today, Governor. We'll talk again soon. Thank you very much, Guy. It's the Guy Benson Show. Stepping aside, coming right back after this. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Back here on The Guy Benson Show, we were just talking about this with, uh, with Governor Christie, and I want to bring you an update Because there are other races that have flipped, but I'm just fascinated by this one particular race. Steve Sweeney, he is the Senate president in New Jersey. He's been there forever. One of the most prominent and powerful Democrats in the entire state of New Jersey. It looked like he had surged back into the lead as of this morning. Well, guess what? He's losing again. He's trailing By almost four percentage points, like three and a half points, he's down now with 99% of the vote in. He's down by more than 2,000 votes. It's not over, over, but Christie said in that interview, what he heard is that Sweeney was going to lose. I think Sweeney might lose. And it's one thing when a, a huge like institution, like a major leader that people have all like, wow, when that type of person loses their seat, it's like, okay, hello, good morning. 
What happened? Big wave here. What is especially extraordinary, and I said it in the last segment. I'm going to repeat it. His opponent is a guy called Edward Durr. That's his name, Edward Durr. Christie's like, I don't know that guy. The Chitterelli people have never met him. He doesn't have a campaign website. Edward Durr is just a dude. Apparently, he's a truck driver. He's a New Jersey truck driver who decided, I want to beat Steve Sweeney. No one else is going to run. Why would you bother? Sweeney's going to win. It's a blue state. Everything, you know, goes damn all the time. I'll just be the sacrificial lamb. Edward Durr raised no money. He didn't have a campaign website. You can't go to like Edward Durr for NewJerseySenate.com. It doesn't exist. He's got like a Facebook page with a photo of him and like the graphics that he put up were just like made in like Microsoft Paint or something. I mean, it is as low budget, low frills as you can get. I I don't even know what exactly he did in terms of campaigning, in the way of campaigning. He was just a Republican who got on the ballot. He filed his paperwork. He filed his disclosures. He spent $153 on this campaign, $153, and he is this close to unseating the president of the Senate in the state of New Jersey, Democrat Steve Sweeney. Because things did not go the way that the Democrats expected them to go. Not in Virginia, although they were worried about Virginia, and certainly not in New Jersey, where they were not worried at all. And now Governor Murphy is like, by the skin of his teeth, maybe going to get through to re-election. And I mentioned, I, mean, I saw a Twitter thread of school board races all over the country from Pennsylvania to New York to Virginia to Colorado and on and on. Something is happening. It's not just about specific ins and outs of races. There is something in the water in America. People are not satisfied and they are blaming the Democratic Party as they should. Newt Gingrich, straight ahead. Guy Benson Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. A new hour here on The Guy Benson Show from New York City today and again tomorrow as well. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. GuyBensonShow.com. The podcast is always free. I'll see you tonight on Kennedy in the 7 p.m. hour, Fox Business Network, and then on Gutfeld in the 11 p.m. hour, Fox News Channel. Let's bring you a Fox News alert. President Biden is addressing the issue of vaccines for children Between ages 5 and 11, he's speaking at the White House. He's back from Europe. He landed to a rude awakening last night based on what was happening to his party at the polls. We'll keep an eye on what he's saying. Meanwhile, the Dow closes up 104 points, ending the day at 36,157. Joining me now is the former Speaker of the House, 
Newt Gingrich. He has a new book out, Beyond Biden, Rebuilding the America We Love. It just dropped this week. You can buy a copy wherever books are sold. Mr. Speaker, welcome to the show. I'm delighted to be with you. It's an amazing day, and the results yesterday were remarkable at many different levels. They are, and... Your book is, as I mentioned, entitled Beyond Biden, Rebuilding the America We Love. Tell us about the book, and did the rebuilding start in earnest last night? Well, I think the rebuilding started with the Yunkin campaign and the number of specific, positive, Virginia-oriented ideas that uh, Glenn Youngkin carried out all throughout the campaign. Um, the I deliberately did not write an anti-Biden book because I feel that Biden will be bad enough that he's his own best advocate for his defeat in 2024. And I really wanted to work on the idea that uh, for the United States to to succeed and, and remain free, safe, and prosperous in the face of the Chinese challenge and in the face of other challenges, uh, that we had to really think about, in a positive way, what would we do, not just what are we against. And that's the whole purpose of Beyond Biden is to begin to lay out an agenda that would allow the American people to really understand that that for us to succeed, we have to reform education. We have to modernize the Pentagon and the intelligence community. Uh, We have to control our border. Uh, We just have a lot of work to do. We've got to rethink uh, the health system so that it is is both more effective and affordable. Uh, And uh, I think that we desperately need a political focus and a news media focus on the biggest problems and how we're going to solve them. Yeah, positive solutions. And another reason maybe not to write an anti-Biden book and talking about beyond Biden, I'm not even convinced Joe Biden is going to run for re-election in 2024. It could be someone up that they, someone else that they put up there because, I don't know, Mr. Speaker, just my impression of him seeing his day-to-day performance, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't strike me as someone who is necessarily going to be up for the gig again. Am I off base? No, I think that's probably right. I think, I think, uh, you know, we have to hope that he can uh, be effective uh, and uh, serve as president all the way through 2024, because uh, the alternative is Kamala Harris, who would be a nightmare and just amazingly dangerous and destructive. Uh, so in that sense, you know, my concern is more uh, help making sure that Biden gets to the end of his term. I'm not worried about uh, defeating him. I think that uh, he probably will not run and that whoever does run, I think, will be able to beat because their their party now is so trapped in a big government socialist ideology that I think we're going to have a, a great deal of capacity to, uh, to to prove to the country the, 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 the reality that it doesn't work. Well, and it's not so, just <laughs> and it's not just big government and it's not just socialism. It's also just this relentless off-putting poison of identity politics. And we're seeing a lot of the sort of lefty journalists and activists on social media uh, just lashing out last night and today. They're so angry that their brand of politics is losing that they're accusing the people who voted against them of being a bunch of you know racists in the thrall of white supremacists. And it's just whiteness rearing its head again. I mean, it's Virginia, Virginia and New Jersey. These are blue states that have become overnight literally racist because the left isn't getting its way. And that mentality, Mr. Speaker, I feel like uh, is one of the big factors why so many Americans are turning off these people. They can't. It's so obnoxious. 
Well, and, and when you think about it just for a minute, what you're dealing here with, um, for example, in Virginia, with an election in which you have uh, an African-American um, who is the uh, first statewide black female to win election, and she's the lieutenant governor mm-hmm. as a Republican. You have a, 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 a Latino of Cuban descent uh, who is the attorney general as a Republican. I mean, uh, how are they going to walk in and say the two of them are somehow racist? This, this is, you know, this is sort of the last gasp of, of a dying demagogic breed. But it's all part of this big government socialism model, which is that they have to think about reshaping America into a radically different country. And uh, the fact is that the American people are repudiating that. The Washington Post, just to fortify that point, there is a Post reporter who went around Virginia with a whole team interviewing voters, and they were interviewing Glenn Youngkin voters. Here's one example, a Latina mom who plans to send her four-year-old to private school to avoid public school education about race, which she believes motivates bullying. They're trying to add new things to history that children her age don't need to know. That's the quote from the Latina young mother. Another one, a black dad homeschooling two of his kids, said his older son recently brought home an assignment on Abraham Lincoln that troubled him. Quote, I'd like to not vote for the guy who said it's not the parents' responsibility to take care of their kids. End quote. Those are two voters of color who voted for Glenn Youngkin. And you know what? If if the left wants to smear these people as you know, white supremacy adjacent or enablers or whatever. I mean, be my guest. It's lunacy. Well, it is lunacy. But look, they're pretty desperate and they live a fantasy life. Uh, you know, they somehow live off in this world where they think uh, that they can dominate the whole rest of the country uh, and they and they make things up. You know, um, imagine somebody can say to you with a straight face, oh, we can pass a $3.5 trillion bill and it will not cost you anything. Right. right. That was the president of the United States. <laughs> right. I mean, Joe Biden said that. And then his press secretary, who has learned to be uh, very direct and blunt in her dishonesty, uh, came along and reinforced what Biden had said. I mean, this stuff is lunacy. And I think we have to recognize that that's a big part of what we're up against is a, a movement on the other side, which is for all practical purposes out of touch with reality. Speaker Gingrich, I think it's safe to say, and if you disagree, feel free to uh, jump in here, but perhaps your number one, if not for sure, your number one political legacy was masterminding and and choreographing the 1994 Republican wave, uh, one of those massive elections that people still talk about, where is the first midterm of President Clinton's term. I wonder, as you look ahead to 2022. So, you know, it's we're decades on here, but 2022, the environment that you saw in 1993-94, how does that compare to 2021-2022? What are your insights and your observations at this stage of the current cycle? Well, I just finished a podcast at Newt's World and a newsletter at Gingrich 360, which makes the case that we've been here before. Uh, you, you elect a president, uh, Clinton, in 92, claiming to be a moderate. He goes to the left. The country repudiates him. We win in 94. But we also had picked up the governorships of, of uh, 
Virginia and New Jersey and the mayors of New York and Los Angeles in 93, exactly parallel to right now. You go to 2008, Barack Obama wins based on the idea that he's going to be a moderate. He goes to the left. And in 1990, I mean, sorry, in 2009, uh, we win the governorships of, of New Jersey and of Virginia. And again, we have a huge sweep in 2010. So I, I, it's almost like deja vu. Uh, I, I look and I see uh, the likelihood, particularly when you look at lower level elections, a, a Texas special state legislative race, for example, yep. in San Antonio, where in a 73 percent Hispanic district, the Republican won. Uh, the, the degree to which in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, the left wingers were kicked out of both the county government and the school board. Uh, and I go all around the country and these things are happening. My favorite is um, a, a truck driver yes. <laughs> named Gurr uh, who spent $123, uh, 66 of it uh, at Dunkin' Donuts buying coffee and donuts for his, his uh, supporters um, and beat the state Senate president in New Jersey. Uh, he, he spent four-tenths of a penny per vote, but he went out, campaigned door-to-door, talked to people, and consolidated the sense that New Jersey's the highest-taxed, most expensive state in the country, and literally, for a $123 campaign, beat the incumbent state Senate president. It's probably the biggest... It's wild. Amazing upset of, of the of last night. Yeah, we've, we've mentioned it. We've mentioned it twice already on the show. I'm from New Jersey originally. The idea that Steve Sweeney would get beaten, period, let alone by someone with no campaign website, I, I can't quite wrap my head around it. I don't know if the race has been called yet, but it's looking kind of like uh, close to a lock at this point. I want to shift to Capitol Hill because we're seeing now today Democrats coming out. They've all got their own little uh, storyline about what last night really meant and what it seems like the Democrats, some of them agree on is, well, it's because we haven't done enough of the Biden agenda yet. And this only underscores that we're running out of time and the American people really need us to go and pass this agenda that they keep telling themselves uh, is very, very popular. You know, there's no time to waste. That seems to be what the White House is saying. A number of top senators are saying that that does not strike me as much of a of a pivot here from the Democratic Party. Uh, what do you think they're going to do, Mr. Speaker? And if you were going to give them, I'm sure they're not necessarily interested in your advice, but if you actually wanted to help them, uh, what would you advise them to do? Well, I think it's probably too late. Uh, they, look, they, they are the big government socialist party. They are committed to trying to create a government you and I don't want and to try to impose a set of values you and I repudiate. Uh, and I don't see how they get out of that. I mean, that's, you know, that's who they really are. Now, there are marginal people, I mean, Manchin and Sinema and the Senate are two examples, but the core of the party is very hard left. Uh, and the result is they can't, I mean, I always tell people, if you want to understand how these folks deal, think about violent criminals or terrorists or the Chinese military threat, think of them as people who saw the Lion King and thought it was a documentary. So they actually believe lions and zebras dance and hang out together and sing. And you can't get them to understand the world's dangerous. Well, the same thing's true across the board. These people live in a very narrow world where they go to their cocktail parties, talk to their fundraisers, hang out with their journalists, and the news media does them no favor. 
when it's totally on their side because it blocks them from encountering reality. But I don't see how the bulk of that party right now could break loose from where they are. And I think that they, you'd have an overt civil war in the Democratic Party if they actually paid attention to the election results. Yeah. I mean, uh, and the, the real leftists keep getting their butts kicked in actual races, but they have this outsized influence. The Biden administration is clearly afraid of them, beholden to them. And just to underscore the point one last time, uh, President Biden is literally taking questions right now from the press. And one of the questions, the first question was, how much responsibility do you take for what happened in Virginia yesterday? You know, the, the sweeping losses. Biden's response, what I do know is people want us to get things done. That's why I'm pushing very hard for the Democrats to move these spending bills. So it's just, you know, the American people or people in a, in a, a variety of places looked at what's happening in Washington and shouted no as loudly as they can. And what Biden apparently is hearing is yes with urgency. Last word to you, Mr. Speaker. Sure. I, I think that's why you have people chanting. That's why you have... Uh, state Senate presidents losing to an independent trucker who spent $123. That's why you now have, for the first time since 2009, a Republican governor of Virginia. Uh, Look, as a Republican, I'm perfectly happy for them to remain trapped in Looney Tune land doing things the country hates. Uh, But it's not good for America in the long run. And uh, I think it's sad that they are that they have a leader who cannot come to grips with reality. He has a vice president who's even worse than he is. And Pelosi and Schumer are completely unable to deal with this. And remember, Schumer went and endorsed the socialist candidate for yep. mayor in Buffalo. And lo- they I mean, lost. Who lost? But let's be clear about who these folks are. They really are big government socialists. They really believe it, and they really can't bring themselves to rethink it. Former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich, my guest, his new book is out, Beyond Biden, Rebuilding the America We Love. You can go get it right now. came out this week. Mr. Speaker, appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Talk to you soon. It's the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Back on the Guy Benson Show. So I mentioned that President Biden was actually taking some questions, and he took one at the very end of this press conference from our colleague Peter Ducey. It was a bit testy. Let's listen. This ought to be good. I, I, I think so, too. Uh, about the way forward, Mr. President, as you were leaving for your overseas trip, there were reports that were surfacing that your administration is planning to pay illegal immigrants who are separated from their families at the border up to $450,000 each, possibly a million dollars per family. Do you think that that might incentivize more people to come over illegally? If you guys keep sending that garbage out, yeah, but it's not true. So this is a garbage report? Yeah. Okay. So $450,000 per person. Is that what you're saying? That was separated from a family member at the border under under the last administration. That's not going to happen. Okay. And then just a follow-up, because you mentioned Trump a couple times. When you went to try to help Terry McAuliffe, in uh, a couple weeks ago, before you left, you mentioned Trump 24 times. Do you still think that voters really want to hear you talking about Trump 
more than the issues affecting them every day. Well, the reason I mentioned Trump, if I didn't count the times, is because the issues he supports are affecting their lives every day and there are negative impact on their lives. Thank you all very much. So that Wall Street Journal report that we mentioned sounded like Biden said it's not going to happen, but the journal was quoting sources familiar with the process saying that that was the discussion underway. It sounded like Biden said no. Also sounded like he'd never heard of it. He called it a garbage report. The Wall Street Journal news side reported this. And that second question, well, I mentioned Trump because, well, he mentioned Trump because that was the whole strategy in Virginia. And they thought it would work because he beat Trump in Virginia by 10 points. And guess what? It didn't work. Terry McAuliffe had him come in, smear Glenn Youngkin, call him an extremist like a Capitol rioter. Barack Obama came in and talked about all the phony trumped up culture war issues in the schools and voters were like actually yeah it's not a culture war and if it is you started it and we care about it top two issues were education and the economy actually in the other order economy and education yunkin won both of those groups that prioritized those two issues trump 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 they wanted to say and they kept saying it and they lost the guy benson show continues after this With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Talking about the issues you care about, Guy Benson. We are halfway through the show, halfway through the week here on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you so much for tuning in every day, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. If you can't listen live, there's a podcast. It is free. It is on demand every day, GuyBensonShow.com. We welcome back to the program Josh Krasauer, politics editor at National Journal and Fox News Radio political analyst, one of the best in the business. As Britt Hume said on Monday, we had Josh on Monday, and we asked him for his prediction in Virginia. And he said at the very end of the interview that the line in his mind was Yunkin plus three in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And the outcome was right in that ballpark, a little over plus two, at least as it stands now, for the victor, Republican Glenn Youngkin, who will be the next governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Josh, welcome back to the show. Hey, it's great to be back, Guy. Congratulations on calling this race right. The polls, by and large, actually got it right with the polling average within just really a fraction of a point of nailing this thing, there was a lot of noise on election day. You were basically acting as my personal therapist and psychoanalyst as I was sending you direct messages and saying, what are you hearing about this? What about this rumor? And you kept saying, Twitter is noise, reporting the race on the ground, and the fundamentals are what matter. You never wavered, and it looked like your assessment of the race and, crucially, the Yunkin campaign's assessment of the race we're correct. Yeah, th- thanks for that guy. You sometimes get it right. You just sometimes miss miss it at, with the analysis. But you know, I, I I've covered Virginia races for a long time. Growing up in Virginia, I was on the campaign trail with both candidates, and I've you know looked at the polls and, and the movement in the race races for the long for the quite a, quite a long time now. And you know, look, it, there actually wasn't a huge disconnect between where the Youngkin campaign saw this race and where the McCall campaign saw this race. Um, but I think one of the bigger signals, and we talked about this on the show, Guy, is that the actions 
spoke even louder than the polls. And when you That's had right. McCollum playing to the base, you know, throwing these Hail Mary passes by trying to scare the voters, trying to really use these desperate tactics to convince uh, Virginia, vote, Virginia voters that, like, Youngkin was, was you know, crazy, racist, right-wing, right. yada, yada, yada. And his closing and argument was with Randy campaign. Weingarten. I mean, I just still am blown away that his closing argument was campaigning on the trail with Randy Weingarten. It, it was bizarre. Um, I mean, again, we see this now in the exit poll data that education was the number two issue in, in the race. It's usually an issue that Democrats dominate with. Youngkin won by double digits among voters who care about that issue the most. So that clearly moved a whole lot of voters, particularly in the suburbs, Loudoun County, Chesterfield County, even some inroads in Fairfax and, 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 and Alexandria and so on. And that was enough to make the difference in the race. Now, that issue single-handedly probably made that, made that two-point margin for Glenn Youngkin, uh, at, you know, made it real, made him push him over the top in the campaign. I want to shift back to Virginia and focus for a second. But before we do that, let's just broaden it out a little bit. We had Governor Christie on the show earlier today talking, of course, about New Jersey, where there's been a 15 to 16 point swing from Biden's margin of victory to what appears to probably be Governor Murphy's eking out a victory. That's an even bigger double digit swing than we've seen in Virginia. Let me ask you this. Are we reading too deeply into the ins and outs of the Virginia race and the candidates and the issues at play when something similar happened up Route 95 in an even bluer state? The, the, the national environment is the mood music for, for the political election, for, for, for the, the, the races we've been covering. Uh, when, you're, when Biden has a job approval rating in the low 40s, when he's underwater in Virginia and in New Jersey, by the way, yep. he's underwater, uh, according to all the polls and, and all the data, um, that's a problem. Now, good candidates can overcome those, those disadvantages. Governor's races aren't quite as nationalized as congressional races. So, you know, if you're Terry McAuliffe and you're a former governor and you have some goodwill, you, a good, you know, if he ran a better campaign, he may have been able to you know, mold that, <laughs> that, that stro- those strengths to his advantage. Instead, he fumbled it away by playing to the base and really throwing, throwing out some desperate charges. But, yeah, you're right, Guy. The national environment is really bad for Democrats right now. It's been exacerbated, too, by Joe Biden deciding at every turn in this whole spending debate to side with the very progressive wing of, of, of the party, mm-hmm. Pramila, Pramila Jayapal, the AOC, the caucus, that really just doesn't want to take yes for an answer on, on the infrastructure bill. And, you know, I've said this for, for months now, but Joe Biden had this great opportunity. You have a almost trillion-dollar infrastructure package that got 19 Senate Republican votes ready to pass in the House. Moderates, people who want a political boost in their reelections for Democrats, want to get this through. And at two separate occasions, the Progressive Caucus held it hostage so, to the larger spending, more more controversial spending bill. Yeah, and, and I, I think that you're right about your read on Joe Biden and the mistakes that he's making that have contributed to this national environment. And there's a lot of them. I don't think that what happened in Washington or in Capitol Hill or what didn't happen in this case was determinative in a place like Virginia or New Jersey. I know that's one of the stories Democrats are telling themselves today, but your broader point is well taken. I want to come back to Virginia because Terry McAuliffe ran a campaign that was basically about one thing, Trump. He said Trump constantly. Yes, he campaigned on you know closures and mandates and COVID policies, 
and those types of things. And he attacked relentlessly Glenn Youngkin for being anti-mandate, anti-school mask mandate and that type of thing. He leaned into that. He leaned into abortion in the northern part of the state. Abortion, 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 you know, mask mandates, COVID vaccine mandates. And then above all, Trump, Trump, Trump. When you look at the exit polls and favorability ratings, I don't know how else you can look at the strategy from McAuliffe. I guess they thought it was the best hand they had to play. But my goodness, it was a dismal failure. It didn't work. And you can see how badly that strategy backfired by the exit poll data. Duncan's favorability, according to the exit polls, 52-44 plus eight. Pretty good. McAuliffe, who started the race with a pretty solid favorable rating, ended the race 45 favorable, 51 unfavorable. <laughs> That's not that much different than Donald Trump himself, uh-huh. 42-54, right? So McAuliffe, by going so negative, by being so ridiculous, frankly, with his attacks, um, the tactics were just out, you know, just, just insane. Um, that Maybe he picked off some of those Democratic voters that were thinking of voting for Youngkin, but it came at the cost of both mobilizing the conservative voters in the rural parts of the state that turned out in huge numbers for, for Glenn Youngkin, in some counties even outperforming Trump himself yeah. in, in these rural conservative counties. And it came at the cost of winning independent, independents and suburban voters that, that were like anti-Trump Republicans. Yeah. Went and I, squarely into the Yunkin camp. I did see, by the way, Josh, that earlier today when finally Terry McAuliffe conceded this race, which is something he doesn't like to do. He still really hasn't conceded the 2000 presidential election, the 2018 Georgia governor election. He's an election truther. But on this one, I'm sure it was very painful and difficult for him. He has conceded the race, although strangely, he conceded it to Glenn Youngkin as opposed to his opponent, Donald Trump. I thought that was odd from Terry McAuliffe. A little tongue in cheek there, but that was the campaign that he ran Let's talk about Yunkin, what he did well. He struck a balance that was awfully hard to do, but he pulled it off. It was a smart, disciplined campaign. And it wasn't just him, by the way. He had coattails. The Republican ticket swept. This is a party that had not won a statewide seat in Virginia, the Republicans, in 12 years. They swept all three of them last night. Not only that, it looks like the House of Delegates has flipped from blue to red. I mean, That is a pretty significant earthquake in a state that has really gone blue over the last decade and a half. Yeah, Youngkin ran a very good campaign. Uh, First, he spent a lot of time and money. He had a lot of money to spend, which is also an advantage he had uh, compared to other Republican candidates in Virginia. You know, defining himself as sort of a fleece-wearing, basketball-playing suburban dad, a guy who a lot of Republicans and Democrats alike could relate to. Uh, you know, he fits the model of the type of Republican Northern Virginia suburban voters like, even if they didn't vote for him, like a guy who is a, from the business community, moderate, moderate. Tone, you know, and Josh, just to jump in exactly what you're saying. So I'm from a suburban town outside of New York City. It's where I grew up. It's where I went to high school. Glenn Youngkin just gave off vibes. And I told my friends this. He gave off vibes of a dad from my hometown who was popular with the parents and with the kids. That's sort of the Glenn Youngkin vibe that I got from him. So he actually had a lot of the, the, the campaign events at the very end of the, the campaign would sign basketballs and throw them to the, to the fans and the kids and, and, and the audience and in a way that was very endearing, very, very suburban dad type vibes. You're absolutely right. And, 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 and that, that matters. I mean, look at that, the image numbers I, I mentioned from the exit poll tell, tell the whole story. He conv- even people that didn't vote for him liked him. 
And that was a big, big advantage. Or at least didn't hate him, right? They couldn't get people to hate Glenn Youngkin. Yeah, and and that was a big advantage because the whole McAuliffe message was you're a horrible person, you're a pumpkin, you're Mm -hmm. you're a crazy right-winger, and none of that really stuck. It it obviously damaged McAuliffe's own image uh, in in the final stretch, and it didn't really do a whole lot of damage to to Youngkin in 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 the final analysis. So, yeah, I mean... It looked like a desperate measure at the time, but now that we have the exit poll data and the election results, it's pretty clear that that strategy was not an effective one, even in a blue state, even in a state that voted for Joe Biden by 10 points just last year. So you now have a Republican governor, Republican lieutenant governor, Republican attorney general, Republican General Assembly in Virginia, where Joe Biden, I will repeat for the umpteenth time, won by 10 points one year ago, 10 points. Then up in New Jersey... You've got this whisker of a governor's race, stunner in that sense. You've got Republican gains in the legislature, Assembly and Senate, still waiting on all of those numbers to shake out. And you've got a president who arrived back from Europe last night, probably bleary-eyed, pretty tired, and he had predicted victory in Virginia. He went to Virginia. He smeared Glenn Youngkin. He lied with Terry McCall if it didn't work. And now the question is, and I asked this to Christie as well, can or will the president pivot because whatever he's been up to, what they're doing obviously is not only not working, it is pissing off people something awful. And not just in red America or purple America, but even blue America. Is this the wake up call for the White House? Are they capable of pivoting or are they just dyed in the wool lefties who are going to just kind of tweet through it and see what happens? It should be a wake-up call. Uh, one of the things that's fascinating, Guy, is that McCall sort of followed the Biden model uh, as a campaign, as a candidate, compared to how Biden is governed. You know, Biden ran as a moderate. He ran as a pragmatist. He had a lot of goodwill going into the, his time when he first, you know, became president. And he squ- he squandered all that capital because he's pandered to the progressives and ended up, you know, co- you know, he's, he's marginalized, frankly, a lot of the moderates in his own, his own in his own party. McAuliffe also started a lot. Started out the governor's race with a lot of goodwill from moderates. He, he worked with Republicans when he was governor last time. You know, he, he obviously has some hard edges, but he was seen as a consensus builder, a pragmatist. And then he campaigned, especially down that stretch, as sort of a progressive. As he brought Stacey Abrams in, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, yeah. obviously, and he brought Randy Weingarten in in the final day. Yeah, I just I can't believe that Kamala Harris and Randy Weingarten did not have a Midas touch down the stretch to help Terry McAuliffe and his flagging campaign. Those are such effective surrogates. I mean, I I am taking some pleasure in this because I found McAuliffe's campaign to be so dishonest and so ugly in a lot of ways. And last question, Josh, you're on Twitter as much as I am, for better and for worse, and it looks like a lot of sort of lefty Twitter is reacting with not even one hour of introspection. They are tripling down on Well, white supremacy and racism is alive and well in America, and I welcome that. For all their efforts and all of their ridiculous fantasies, I'm here for it because clearly the American people are totally alienated by that attitude and that sort of brand of leftism in the Democratic Party. It's what just cost them. That mentality contributed to what just happened to the Democratic Party. And if the the tastemakers on Twitter, who Democratic politicians obsess over, if they're going to keep going with this stuff, I think that conservatives should be like, yeah, go for it. 
Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. Though I, I will say that I've had a lot of conversations in the last 12, 24 hours since the election results with Democrats that 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 it, this is a wake up call about woke wokeness and, and critical race theory and some of the excesses on on the far left. I, I, I actually do think Democrats are aware of this and now given the results, not just in Virginia and New Jersey, they they see the problem. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's, stop it's calling it all a lie. Like you know, stop saying this isn't taught. It's not true. These parents are crazy. They're buying into some you know fiction fantasy because they're secretly white supremacists, including people of color. Quote in the Washington Post, they're adjacent to white supremacy. I mean that stuff is is bonkers. If the Democrats want to help themselves, they will divorce themselves from that. But it could be a very ugly divorce because they also need those people as part of their base. So it's it's a dance that they'll have to do on the other side that, frankly, Glenn Youngkin pulled off in a different way on the right side of the spectrum and, you know, getting into the center part of that spectrum as well in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Josh Krausauer, again, congratulations on just, you know, nailed it. In Virginia, I'm not surprised. Uh, that was some excellent punditry. That's why we love having you on here. Thanks, Guy. It's always great to be on. Guy Benson Show, back after this. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. We're back here on The Guy Benson Show. We just finished that interview with Josh Krasauer, and he was talking about the struggle now for Democrats, where you've got the woke progressive base, typically well-educated white people in particular in the activist class, then you've got normal Americans. And that is a big gap to try to straddle. They're going to have to try to do so. And if they look too much at the activists on Twitter, which they do a lot, they have been led astray. But it's not just the Twitter people. It's not just the online mob. It's also much of the media. Here's a little survey. Cut 8-9-11. This is CNN, MSNBC, last night. When this election is over in Virginia, we will know, have we seen the emergence of the Delta variant of Trumpism? The Delta variant of Trumpism. In other words, Yunkin, uh, same disease, but spreads a lot faster and can get a lot more places. The suburbs, if they fall to him, you well, now... That's implying that, yeah. that Yunkin is more dangerous than uh, well, the president, former well, president. No, no, more easy to spread. The coronavirus, or that the virus, it was a very has low was not importance to many yes, of the voters which there. Was it was education, right. which is code for white parents don't like the idea of teaching right. about race. And I mean, unfortunately, race is just the most palpable tool in the toolkit. It used to be of the Democratic Party back right. in the day when they were Dixiecrats, and now of the Republican Party. Some of it was dog whistle. Yeah. Right? Some of it was. Uh, dog whistle racism. A thousand percent. But, but for a lot of voters, that's not what it was. It was more this this anxiety when it comes to schooling, having had so their children. So you've heard it there. That's our competitors last night watching these results, seeing their team lose, melting down, and saying, ah, it is those racist, dog whistling voters that are the problem that the Republicans are appealing to. Glenn Youngkin is the Delta variant of Trumpism, right? Education is code for white parents scared of race, dog whistle racism. That's the lesson that they were learning in real time and conveying it to their viewers and their audience. The base of the Democratic Party. They are grappling not well with what happened. 
And if they double down, it'll be another brutal wave for them next year. Maybe we should root for that. But the insanity runs deep. Final hour of The Guy Benson Show. Coming up next, you don't want to miss it. So much more to get to, including Martha McCallum joining us straight ahead on The Guy Benson Show. News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Time for the Happy Hour on this Wednesday say it's an even happier hour than usual day after these elections in my book at least here on the guy benson show i'm guy benson our website guybensonshow.com the podcast is free every single day no charge to you on demand guybensonshow.com i'll be joining kennedy tonight fbn 7 p.m eastern time probably right around 7 40 i believe is my hit time and then i'm on the panel with gutfeld exclamation point in the 11 p.m. hour, Fox News Channel. That is this evening. Happy hour sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. I uh, had a long night last night. I think I got to sleep around 3.30. I could go for a long drink. I'm not necessarily big on the weekday drinks anymore. It's a school night, but maybe tonight. Long drink sounds good. TheLongDrink.com is their website. TheLongDrink.com. It's really delicious. And more of you are trying it. I hear from you all the time. Honestly, I love it. I love hearing from you. I like the product. Always drink responsibly, of course. 21 plus only. You can find out where it's sold near you or order online, thelongdrink.com. Well, yesterday, to kick off the show, we had Brett Bayer in studio down in D.C. His co-anchor of our special election coverage last night, which I joined in the 11 p.m. hour, is Martha McCallum, who is on her way back to New York from D.C., and she joins us now. She is executive editor and anchor of The Story, of course, 3 p.m. Eastern on FNC, politics co-anchor here at the network, author of Unknown Valor, and her podcast is The Untold Story at foxnewspodcast.com. Martha, great to have you back. Hi, Guy. Great to be with you. Well, there is so much to discuss, and we had an opportunity to talk about some of it on the TV side, on the TV side rather last night. But wow, I mean, you and I are both New Jerseyans, at least originally I am. It's where I grew up through high school, starting when I was around nine or so. And so I had, as a current Virginian, been focused on Virginia like crazy, and, and that race being so close and so competitive and all the attention. But my brain started powering up the New Jersey elements of my memory and sort of some of that, you know, muscle memory of caring about New Jersey politics for so long when Jersey got awfully interesting last night and remains awfully interesting. It's after 5 p.m. the day after the election. I'm still kind of shocked by this. Are you? You know, I have to say that I, I think I was one of the few people who kept 
sort of nudging that we needed to pay a little bit more attention to what was going on in New Jersey because we were so focused on Virginia. And obviously, we had New Jersey in the mix as the other big race. And everyone remembers 2009 when Bob McDonald won Virginia and Chris Christie won in New Jersey and that it was, you know, a real turning point. So I kept kind of noticing, you know, gee, there's a lot of jack signs around when I drive around New Jersey and I hear people talking about him a lot. You never know if it's just sort of in your neighborhood or it's anecdotal. It's tough to get a handle on it. But, you know, it, it felt like it also felt to me, Guy, as if as the momentum built and the race narrowed in Virginia, it started to kind of do the same thing. I think there was a little bit of a spinoff effect in New Jersey as people looked at some of the issues that were moving things in Virginia and started to think, well, maybe, you know, maybe I should take another look at this too. Maybe I shouldn't just assume that I'm going to, you know, hit the, the Dem button again in New Jersey, um, as most folks usually do. So, and I think that these two candidates were really interesting. I think it really goes to the issue of of how important it is to have a good candidate. I mean, you can put the greatest consultants and the greatest surrogates around people. It doesn't matter if they aren't drawing people's attention and getting people excited. And getting people excited is probably the most underrated element of, of any of these candidates. I mean, if, if, you, if you're just, you know, sort of bumping along and you've got someone who comes along and they're Glenn Youngkin or even Jack Chitterelli, who's a different, you know, sort of uh, candidate than, than Youngkin, but, but still very authentic, I, I think you've got to sit up and take notice. And when you look at the map in New Jersey, setting aside how unbelievably close, I mean, it's, you know, a fraction of a percentage point right now separating Governor Murphy and Jack Chitterelli, the swings in some of these parts of the state, it's not just red counties going super red, which they did. It's not just some of these swing counties and areas swinging back red, which they did. There are bluer areas that got a lot more Republican. I mean, in certain counties with heavy Hispanic populations, for example, I think what the Democrats take for granted in a lot of places, including in New Jersey, uh, was exposed again last night. And actually, Martha, it ties back to 2020. Even though Trump lost that race, he really made inroads in Florida, in Texas with Latinos. He brought up the number of black voters who were coming into the mix for Republicans. And I think because Biden ultimately won, a lot of people just sort of, especially on the left and the media, looked away from that and went back to their usual talking points about you know the, the whiteness of the Republican Party and all of that. But there's something happening here that the Democrats, I think, have to be kind of alarmed about because it's not just a weird one-off now. It's it's stuff that we are seeing more and more. It, absolutely. I mean, you have to look, if you're a Democrat, you've got to look at what's happening with the Latino vote. Um, it, we saw a very strong Latino vote for Glenn Youngkin. Uh, we also saw it moving in that direction for Jack Chitterelli in New Jersey as well. You also see, you know, it, it's slim margins, but an but a very interesting change to watch over the course of the last presidential elections um, with the black vote as well, getting up into double digits for Republican candidates. And it's a trend that you that you need to to notice. And when you look at issues like schools and parents and vaccines and mandates and all of these things, you have to look at at who it, it's resonating with. And whether or not it has an impact on who they vote for. I also I just interviewed today Winston Sears, that she'll be the lieutenant governor yeah, of Virginia. I saw a clip from that and, interview. And she's, yeah, and she's saying, you know, 
it's oh, no. great that I'm the first one to lieutenant governor of Virginia, but but more importantly than that, um, I have a lot of things that I want to do, and I have a very impressive record to, to bring to the table. And that's what I think most normal, everyday folks want it to be about. They want things to be based on merit and not on which identity box you check. I think people are tired of it. And I think that, you know, you can beat that drum. Joy Reid can beat that drum every day if she wants to at MSNBC. Um, but it, it doesn't necessarily resonate with, with Americans who, you know, live their lives and, and have just natural diversity based on their workplace and their mm-hmm. neighborhood and all of the other things in their lives. Martha, I've talked about this particular case and this race now this, I believe, the third time in three hours because I cannot get enough of it. And there's an update in the race. So Steve Sweeney is the Senate president in New Jersey, extremely powerful Democrat, one of the most powerful people in the entire state. He's been in office for many years. He's a household name, at least within you know New Jersey politics. He looks like he is about to lose his race in the state Senate And I just saw that the margin of his opponent, Edward Durr, has grown. Uh, I think they're going to call this race at some point. People are sending me Edward Durr's material, a campaign video that he put out, which was done. I mean, it's like a middle schooler maybe like put this thing together, not remotely slick at all. It doesn't even look like a town council ad. His signs that he put up. We're like I, I, I don't want to laugh too much, but it's like the most basic no frills stuff imaginable. He spent less than two hundred dollars. He's just you know a guy who doesn't have a campaign website. He's gonna knock off. It looks like Steve Sweeney in New Jersey. I asked Chris Christie about this earlier in the show. You're from New Jersey. You follow New Jersey politics. I don't know if there's a single example of an outcome anywhere that we saw last night that is more astounding to me than this state Senate race in New Jersey. No, it's absolutely it's absolutely shocking. And, and, and you're right. Steve Sweeney is a person who's been around New Jersey for decades as the head of the Democrats in the state legislature. Uh, he's someone that the former governor, Chris Christie, had to, you know, they, you know, butted heads with, but also worked with yep. uh, in order to get things through in New Jersey because he, he had to uh, in order to get stuff done. And he said there were things that they saw eye to eye on uh, at times and other times, obviously not so much. But the fact that yeah, th- this is just that is a casting about for, you know, something, anything to shake things up and people tired of the status quo in a place um, where, frankly, people have just become used to their taxes going up, you know, every cycle, essentially. And the things that are run in the state just more and more uh, onerous for people to, to work their way through the bureaucracies of on a daily basis all the time. And they are, I think, making a very loud statement in saying basically anybody but him, if that's the way this ends up going. He has a Twitter account. I'm just going to read. This is his tweet from July, where he was introducing himself to the people of his district in New Jersey. Hello, New Jersey. I'm Edward Durr, the Republican Senate candidate for Legislative District 3. I'm a father of three, grandfather of six, lifelong resident of New Jersey, not seeking power or fame, only to give the people better representation, lower taxes, transparency. That was the tweet. And it looks like he might be headed to the state Senate uh, in in the district of Steve Sweeney. It's it's absolutely remarkable. In the meantime, what I find interesting, Martha, back in Virginia, is not just the failure of Terry McAuliffe's approach to that race, which we've discussed here on the show, and we've been 
uh, really calling out on this program a lot in recent weeks. Uh, everyone knows, you know, Trump all the time, certain cultural issues, uh, you know, c- calling everyone racist, uh, demeaning and dismissing parents and their concerns and all of that didn't work. Tying uh, Glenn Youngkin to Trump, trying to turn him into Trump, totally failed if you look at the exit polls. I'm also curious about your thoughts on the cavalcade of Democratic stars brought into the Commonwealth to help McAuliffe sort of goose up turnout. And actually, Democrats did turn out. It was a huge turnout election. The Republicans just did better and persuaded people to come to their side. But you had, you know, everyone, the president, the former president, Stacey Abrams, the vice president, anyone they could think of, they brought to Virginia and they all delivered a pretty similar message. And it just wasn't enough in a state that went for Biden by 10. I think that's also an interesting side of this, the the surrogates that the McAuliffe people brought in versus virtually no surrogates at all for Glenn Youngkin. It was him running his race the way he wanted to. I think people see there it's pretty transparent when you're getting desperate, you call up the big guns and say, look, I really need you to come down here and campaign for me, regardless of the fact that Terry McAuliffe had picked up on a Zoom call saying, look, the reality is that, that uh, President Biden's not that popular here. And that's sort of a, a mm-hmm. prevailing win that we're going to have to work against. And then several weeks later, he's clearly asking him to come down and support him. Or Biden said he wanted to come down and support him. I'm not sure which way that went. But I think the fact that they had such a heavy turnout of every heavy hitter in the Democrat Party and to have President Obama come in and say, look, you know, don't let them fool you with these trumped up culture. Yeah, wars, I, I, I think that may have worked against him, actually. Um, I think it might have been a reminder of. Uh, of a message that people feel is out of touch. Look at what Van Jones said. You know, people think we're annoying and out of touch. Hmm. And we need to sort of think about that, said Van Jones today to Democrats. I think think he's right. Although (laughs) I think the fact that, that all of those people did come is, is testament to that fact. Although it's a, there's a lot of folks at CNN and especially MSNBC who are looking at everything and they're saying, no, it is they who are out of touch. And and they're just tripling down. I, the Chiron just now on MSNBC was, how can Democrats beat back the GOP culture war? I mean, I keep saying this. If this is the lesson that they want to derive from all of this, be my guest, because it is disconnected and untethered from the reality of many, many voters And the proof is in the pudding from last night. They just hate the taste of the pudding and refuse to believe that they have any role in the ingredients in that pudding. And they're just going to, I guess, keep plodding away as they have been here and failing. And I think conservatives, at least, and Republicans should say, like, yeah, you know, go for it. Go for it. Martha McCallum, I know that you are on the road. You're very kind to take some time for us here today. Watch the story every weekday at 3 p.m. on Fox News Channel. She is the anchor. And Martha, great being on with you last night and earlier in the week, and we'll see you soon. Always good to be with you guys. Thanks so much. Absolutely. We'll step aside, come back. A few things that I cannot wait to share with you, a few tidbits I've been holding on to out of Virginia, and actually some of what happened on Martha's show earlier today. We'll play you that sound. Oh, it's good stuff on the happy hour next. Guy Benson will be right back. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. I wish Joy Reid would invite me on her show. I'm, let's see if she's woman enough to do that. 
I'd go in a heartbeat and we have a real discussion without Joy speaking about me behind my back, if you will. She talks about white supremacy. Does she know that I ran against a white supremacist? I mean, Joy, come on, get your facts straight. Oh, can I get a yes, queen? Winsome Sears, the lieutenant governor-elect in Virginia, firing back at Joy Reid, who was part of the insane asylum on MSNBC last night. I mean, basically every conservative I know was watching MSNBC just to watch the meltdown, and boy, did they get their money's worth. I guess no one was watching CNN. I saw their ratings. They didn't even come close to a million viewers on an election night. Plus, they would have all tuned out. They were too depressed based on the results. But, yeah, Joy Reid, you know, white supremacy, code words, dog whistles, all the things. And Winsome Sears like, hey, let's woman up. Put me on your show, Joy. We can actually talk about this. I love it. Meanwhile, Nicole Wallace, also part of that clown car, she was saying, how can this how can this happen? This is an insurrectionist Republican who flew an insurrectionist flag at his rallies. That's just a lie. Did not happen. It happened in some unrelated event. And he repudiated it. But Nicole Wallace, who was, again, co-anchoring the MSNBC coverage, thinks that Glenn Youngkin, like, ran around with an insurrection flag and said it on national television during her nationally televised therapy session because she could not handle what happened, is just spewing misinformation. And yet the left truly believes, and they're saying this all over social media, it's the danger of misinformation that led to the Republicans winning. No, it's information. Americans woke up yesterday in Virginia, New Jersey, and elsewhere, looked around. They're not happy with what they see. The Democrats control everything, and they decided to make a change based on information. It was an extremely rational decision, and the Democrats are like, oh, it's racism and misinformation. I hope that delusion persists. There's one other thing that I have to share with you. I saw it before the show, and it brought me such joy, happiness, and life. We talked about that ridiculous stunt from the Democratic staffers in the Lincoln Project with, like, you know, the Proud Boys and the Tiki Torches. What was that last week? Trying to tie Glenn Youngkin to Charlottesville and that horrible event. It was a total failure. It blew up in their faces. The Lincoln Project are a bunch of absolute self-destructive clowns setting aside all the grifting and the the cover-up of some nasty stuff that they did. You want to know what happened today? Glenn Youngkin sent a fruit basket and a thank-you note to the Lincoln Project, thanking them for their help in getting him elected governor of Virginia. Now that is a power move that I love. That is trolling the trolls. I didn't think Glenn Youngkin necessarily had that in him. That's a little mischievous for Glenn, for this, for the old red vest. Oh, I love it. I wonder what kind of fruits were in that basket. Well played, Glenn Youngkin. Should I say Governor-elect Youngkin on The Guy Benson Show. Talking about the issues you care about, Guy Benson. It is The Guy Benson Show Happy Hour. Earlier today, we welcomed to the show for the first time Former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, his reaction to what happened in Virginia and elsewhere last night, what comes next for Democrats on Capitol Hill, and what might be coming down the pike in 2022. We picked the brain of Speaker Gingrich. Here's part of that discussion. 
Your book is, as I mentioned, entitled Beyond Biden, Rebuilding the America We Love. Tell us about the book and did the rebuilding start in earnest last night? Well, I think the rebuilding started with the Yunkin campaign and the number of specific, positive, Virginia-oriented ideas that uh, Glenn Youngkin carried out all throughout the campaign. Um, the I deliberately did not write an anti-Biden book because I feel that Biden will be bad enough that he's his own best advocate for his defeat in 2024. And I really wanted to work on the idea that uh, for the United States to, to succeed and, and remain free, safe, and prosperous in the face of the Chinese challenge and in the face of other challenges, uh, that we had to really think about in a positive way, what would we do, not just what are we against? And that's the whole purpose of Beyond Biden is to begin to lay out an agenda that would allow the American people to really understand that, that for us to succeed, we have to reform education. We have to modernize the Pentagon and the intelligence community. Uh, we have to control our border. Uh, we just have a lot of work to do. We, we've got to rethink uh, the health system so that it is is both more effective and affordable. Uh, And uh, I think that we desperately need a political focus and a news media focus on the biggest problems and how we're going to solve them. Yeah, positive solutions. And another reason maybe not to write an anti-Biden book and talking about beyond Biden, I'm not even convinced Joe Biden is going to run for re-election in 2024. It could be someone someone else that they put up there because I don't know, Mr. Speaker, just my impression of him seeing his day-to-day performance, uh, he doesn't he doesn't strike me as someone who is necessarily going to be up for the gig again. Am I off base? No, I think that's probably right. I think I think uh, you know we have to hope that he can uh, be effective uh, and uh, serve as president all the way through twenty twenty four. Because uh, the alternative is Kamala Harris, who would be a nightmare and just amazingly dangerous and destructive. Uh, so in that sense, you know, my concern is more uh, help making sure that Biden gets to the end of his term. I'm not worried about uh, defeating him. I think that uh, he probably will not run and that whoever does run, I think will be able to beat because their their party now is so trapped in a big government socialist ideology that I think we're going to have a great deal of capacity to uh, to, to prove to the country that the, the, the reality that it doesn't work. Well, and it's not you know, just <laughs> and it's not just big government, and it's not just socialism. It's also just this relentless, off-putting poison of identity politics. And we're seeing a lot of the sort of lefty journalists and activists on social media. Uh, just lashing out last night and today, they're so angry that their brand of politics is losing, that they're accusing the people who voted against them of being a bunch of you know racists in the thrall of white supremacists, and it's just whiteness rearing its head again. I mean, it's Virginia, Virginia and New Jersey. These are blue states that have become overnight literally racist because the left isn't getting its way, and that mentality, Mr. Speaker, I feel like uh, is one of the big factors why so many Americans are turning off these people. They can't, It's so obnoxious. Well, and, and when you think about it just for a minute, we're, you're dealing here with, um, for example, in Virginia, with an election in which you have uh, an African-American um, who is the uh, first statewide black female 
to win election, and she's the lieutenant governor mm -hmm. as a Republican. You have a, a, a Latino of Cuban descent uh, who is the attorney general as a Republican. I mean, uh, how are they going to walk in and say the two of them are somehow racist? This, this is, you know, this is sort of the last gasp of, of a dying demagogic breed. But it's all part of this big government socialism model, which is that they have to think about reshaping America into a radically different country. And uh, the fact is that the American people are repudiating that. The Washington Post, just to fortify that point, there is a Post reporter who went around Virginia with a whole team interviewing voters, and they were interviewing Glenn Youngkin voters. Here's one example, a Latina mom who plans to send her four-year-old to private school to avoid public school education about race, which she believes motivates bullying. They're trying to add new things to history that children her age don't need to know. That's the quote from the Latina young mother. Another one, a black dad homeschooling two of his kids, said his older son recently brought home an assignment on Abraham Lincoln that troubled him. Quote, I'd like to not vote for the guy who said it's not the parents' responsibility to take care of their kids. End quote. Those are two voters of color who voted for Glenn Youngkin. And you know what? If, if the left wants to smear these people as you know, white supremacy adjacent or enablers or whatever, man, be my guest. It's lunacy. Well, it is lunacy. But look, they're pretty desperate and they live a fantasy life. Uh, you know, they somehow live off in this world where they think uh, that they can dominate the whole rest of the country uh, and they and they make things up. You know, uh, I mean, imagine somebody can say to you with a straight face, oh, we can pass a $3.5 trillion bill and it will not cost you anything. Right. right. That was the president of the United States. <laughs> right. I mean, Joe Biden said that. And then his press secretary, who has learned to be uh, very direct and blunt in her dishonesty, uh, came along and reinforced what Biden had said. I mean, this stuff is lunacy. And I think we have to recognize that that's a big part of what we're up against is a, a movement on the other side, which is for all practical purposes out of touch with reality. Speaker Gingrich, I think it's safe to say, and if you disagree, feel free to uh, jump in here, but perhaps your number one, if not for sure, your number one political legacy was masterminding and, and choreographing the 1994 Republican wave, uh, one of those massive elections that people still talk about, where is the first midterm of President Clinton's term. I wonder, as you look ahead to 2022. So, you know, it's we're decades on here, but 2022, the environment that you saw in 1993-94, how does that compare to 2021-2022? What are your insights and your observations at this stage of the current cycle? Well, I just finished a podcast at Newt's World and a newsletter at Gingrich 360 which makes the case that we've been here before. Uh, you, you elect a president, uh, Clinton, in 92, claiming to be a moderate. He goes to the left. The country repudiates him. We win in 94. But we also had picked up the governorships of, of uh, Virginia and New Jersey and the mayors of New York and Los Angeles in 93, exactly parallel to right now. You go to 2008. Barack Obama wins based on the idea that he's going to be a moderate. He goes to the left. And in 1990, 
I mean, sorry, in 2009, uh, we win the governorships of, of New Jersey and of Virginia. And again, we have a huge sweep in 2010. So I, I, it's almost like deja vu. Uh, I, I look and I see uh, the likelihood, particularly when you look at lower level elections, a, a Texas special state legislative race, for example, yep. in San Antonio, where in a 73 percent Hispanic district, the Republican won. Uh the, the degree to which in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, the left wingers were kicked out of both the county government and the school board. Uh, and I go all around the country and these things are happening. My favorite is um, a, a truck driver yes. named Durr, <laughs> uh, who spent $123, uh, 66 of it uh, at Dunkin' Donuts buying coffee and donuts for his, his uh, supporters. My full interview with Speaker Newt Gingrich on The Guy Benson Show earlier, available in its entirety, along with the rest of the show, for free. GuyBensonShow.com. That's the podcast every single day on demand. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcasts.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, the home stretch. another happy outcome last night, this time involving sports, although there is a political wrinkle as well. That's next on The Home Stretch. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. The 0-2. Left side, Swanson. To first. The Bruins are world champions. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show. That was the call from Joe Buck our Fox cousin, as the Atlanta Braves won the World Series. It was 7 to nothing last night in Game 6. They win the series four games to two, and they have their first championship since 1995. They won in Houston, which is another wonderful element of all of this. I was rooting for the Braves for reasons that I've explained a few different times, one of which is they were so good to me when I was down there. At Extra in Atlanta, our affiliate, our great affiliate down in Atlanta, they invited me to attend two Braves games because they're owned by the same broadcasting company that is the flagship station on the sports side of Braves baseball. So they said, you want to go to a game? Yeah. So I went to one game and I was in a suite. Another game I was down right at field level in like the best seats in the house. They asked me to throw out the first pitch. I would not shut up about that for a week on this show. Would you? Honestly, in fairness, would you? And I was so nervous about that, but I did not bounce it. The Braves weren't playing great leading into that game. It was St. Louis, that series, and they won both games that I was at. And I'm just looking forward to them mailing me my World Series ring because many people are saying that I really helped turn this around is what happened here. Uh, But in all seriousness to everyone at... Extra and our audience in Atlanta and our sister stations down there and Dickie Broadcasting. I mean, congratulations. It is a dream come true. I'm a Yankee fan. When I was a kid, the Yankees beat the Braves twice in the World Series. I know how much joy a championship can bring, especially to a long-suffering fan. So congrats to the Braves and everyone in Braves Nation down in the Southeast and really across the country. They do have a fan base And Houston, and with all due respect to our listeners in Texas and in Houston, I just can't root for them. To the point that I almost was rooting for Boston as a Yankee fan over Houston because of that cheating scandal. 
and just the arrogance of some of those players. I just you love to see them fail, and they failed at home. They lost to the Braves, and perhaps the sweetest part of it was the commissioner of Major League Baseball, Mister what Manfred, had to hand this trophy to the franchise, the Atlanta Braves, that he screwed over with his politicized, ignorant, panicked, embarrassing decision to yank the All-Star game out of Atlanta for political reasons. Based on a bunch of smears and misinformation and half-truths and pressure campaigns from woke leftists. Based on the law that they passed and Governor Kemp signed on elections in that state. And he got all this pressure and he said, "Okay, we're going to pull up our stakes and sorry, Atlanta, we're out. And we railed against that decision on this show with specific details about how hypocritical Major League Baseball was being. Set aside all the inaccurate information that they bought into, the weakness. That's what this was. I don't know if the commissioner himself is some big leftist Democrat, but what he is is weak and scared, and he caved. He caved to that mob, and it was pitiful And we got into all the hypocrisy about how they are, you know, set up here in New York. Up in Cooperstown, there's the Hall of Fame. New York had much more, quote unquote, restrictive voting laws on the books. Didn't matter. The details didn't matter. They decided to punish Atlanta, punish the Braves, punish those fans, punish the city, punish the state, because that's what liberal Democrats wanted them to do. And they worked their anger and outrage machine the way that they always do. And as is too often the case, big corporations or institutions, they just flop and they surrender. And that's what Major League Baseball did. Pathetic. That was the midsummer classic. The fall classic, the World Series, they could not take away from Atlanta. The Braves got three home games. They won two of them. They had a really strong record in the playoffs, actually. I think they were 7-1 and one at home. Over the course of the playoffs. So even if the woke mob wanted them to, they couldn't take that away from the Braves and they could not take away the World Series that they won in the exact same season that MLB pulled that BS. Oh, when Governor Kemp was on this show recently, he called that poetic justice. Well, poetic justice has come full circle now and it has ended, I would say, with justice being served. Houston losing, Atlanta winning, and the commissioner being forced to hand that trophy over to that organization after what he pulled months ago. Perfect. They earned it. They forced his hand. He had no choice. He embarrassed himself. He embarrassed the sport. Major League Baseball disgraced itself with that decision that they made. But somehow the Braves figured out a way to make it right. And they did so by winning the World Series in six games. Again, the final score last night in Houston, Texas, Atlanta seven, Astros nothing. And I believe there is now a barbecue bet that needs to be paid off between the governors because we have had Kemp and Abbott on the show and asked them about this. And Abbott was saying there was some sort of barbecue related bet. So with all respect to Governor Abbott, it's time, I think, for him to pay up if he hasn't already. Dan, did you watch the series? Were you also rooting for Atlanta? 
Yes, just like you, as a Yankee fan, I do not like the Astros at all. Plus, I love this Braves team. they got a bunch of great young guys. Yeah, they're likable. They're a lot of fun to watch. Austin Riley, Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Albies. And I was rooting for the Braves, and... You know, they deserved it, and I was so happy to see it And also the collective freakout from the heavily left-leaning sports media because they can't help themselves either about the tomahawk chop and, oh, this is so awful. Look at this rotten tradition and, you know, a thousand think pieces about how they should banish whatever. And the Braves fans and the Braves organization were like, no, you have jerked us around enough this year. Absolutely not. And they just tomahawk chopped their way to a World Series championship. Oh, that's good stuff. And to have that happen, have that sort of like comeuppance and humiliation, that awkward look on the face of the commissioner, all of this happening with the Braves winning the World Series, some sort of like cosmic vindication for Atlanta on the same night that the Democrats' world was falling apart in Virginia and New Jersey and elsewhere, uh, it was a good night. I was up till 3, 3.30 in the morning doing my analysis, my writing. I was talking to Chris Christie at like 2 in the morning. I'm like, what is, what is my life right now? But it was all worth it. And it was just icing on the cake for the Braves to do what they did. And a little more than that, again, to all of our listeners, 106.3 Extra in Atlanta. Savor it. You guys deserve it. You earned it. Back here on the Guy Benson Show, again from New York. Tomorrow, same time, same place. See you tonight on Gutfeld. In the 11 p.m. hour, Fox News Channel, I'll be on the panel. Also, a few hours prior in the 7 p.m. hour Eastern, I'll be joining Kennedy in the studio. So a busy evening ahead again. Talk to you tomorrow here on the radio. Have a great night. everybody, it's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.